0: You're listening to Making a Living Show. I'm Roby Levy.
1: Hi, my name is Alexander Burke, and I make music for a living.
0: Alexander Burke is an award-winning musician, composer, and performer. After graduating USC, he became the youngest musical director in Second City history, working with comedians like Keegan-Michael Key, Jordan Peele, and Thomas Middleditch. He has gone on to record with the likes of Billy Ray Cyrus and Fiona Apple, and his music can be heard in New Girl and Iron Man 3. Here's my chat with Alexander Burke. Who are you and what do you make for a living?
1: Uh, my name is Alexander Burke. Primarily, I make music, but I also engineer, produce, act. Um, I've made my a lot of my living dancing. <laughs> Pretty much um, my whole life is an exercise in being present.
0: Sorry, let's start with the the, the simplest one here. How would you get started with music?
1: Um, my next door neighbor uh, was two years older, which when you're Eight and they are ten. They are obviously a god to you. And he was playing music, so I wanted to play music. And then, um, his or I was lucky enough to live just outside of L.A. And my piano teacher growing up, Kathy, was actually Neil Diamond's arranger. So music never seemed like a far-fetched, impossible career job. Uh, I like career job. I'll pan that
0: a career job. Uh,
1: yeah, it was just something that was anyone could do and make a living. She said, I should be a musician. I said, okay.
0: Did you show a promise right at the beginning?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was like a little bit of one of those. I was as talented as you could be without being a prodigy. Like <laughs> I hung out with prodigies, but was like in the dunce of the prodigies, which probably explains my whole personality. Did
0: they laugh at you? Did they pick on you?
1: Oh, but they were like, Oh, you don't understand like the modes. And as a 12 year old, you're like, no, I only, I only understand like, you know, the harmonic minors and stuff like, ah, so lame. Dude, I was 14 and I was in classes with all kids who already had record deals. I was the one who could, like, I was talented enough to be there, but not a prodigy. I was like, just shy. So I was like the, the stupid person in the prodigy
0: class. Did that spur you on through your career now?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, plus I'm Jewish, but I think that like constant insecurity um, that it gives you helps. The fact I never think I'm the best, or I always presume I'm the one who's messing up, I feel like has made me one of the best listeners. And you know, they always say acting is reacting, and it's the exact same with music. Um what really changed my life is um I toured and did a few records with Billy Ray Cyrus for years, like four or five years. And most of his songs are two chords or three chords, whatever. Um, like Achy Breaky, the verse, chorus, bridges, they're all the exact same chords. And I started realizing that by listening and the way I react and play, if you isolate my piano, I could make you realize where the verse, chorus, and bridges while playing the same rhythm. Just by the way I attack, the way I have my release, the way I approach everything. And the problem is, is so many musicians better than me never develop those listening skills. So even though I might not be the best musician in the room, and I will always be the best listener in the room and the best of reacting.
0: It sort of sounds like, you know, you've got, you, you may not have the best serve, but your return game is amazing.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: It seems like that would be an oversight for other people not to have that, and yet a bit of a superpower to have it.
1: I mean the problem with music and I th- and the way it's taught and I think it's the same probably in acting, is so much of what you do is in, you know, by yourself in a room and it's not something that people teach, or what they focus on is being virtuosic, which and not how to listen and the reality is is, the older I get, the more I feel like it's easy to be virtuosic, um, but it's harder to play to the song, and the reason I work so much as a session musician i've been on hundreds of albums is every part that i come up with i want to be so detailed as opposed to like oh shit that's a badass solo i want to be so detailed you actually have to learn my solo note for note as opposed to just playing something impressive um and i feel like people often confuse um people often confuse complexity with detail So how does that
0: kind of translate to be, you're on all these different records. How are you able to constantly find different expressions? I mean, at the end of the day, there's only so many chords.
1: Yeah, but there's only so many words. And what you can say with those words, you know, is limitless. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the only limitation is what you can think of. Um, I lie to myself every time I go in the studio and convince myself that what I'm doing is the most important thing in the world. Change the world and will save lives. And that is the mindset I get into every time I record on a song.
0: Yours or others?
1: Mine or other people's. Everything. Um, You can feel if somebody loves something and you can feel if they don't. Part of the reason we love those can't be horror movies is you can tell all those people are trying to give Shakespearean performances, (laughs) loving every minute of it. Like, you know, with the original, like, Friday the thirteenth. They are going all in. And then there's so many horror films. And that's what makes horror films so endearing, too. Is like, and then you see other ones like where they're not even trying, and you can tell they're angry and just there for the paycheck and they think this is shit. And it's not the same. Like that's what makes a horror movie so great. Like, you know, Josh Whedon made Buffy Shakespearean. And that's why you love the show so much, where people acted like it was, you know disposable art, it wouldn't be the same.
0: Well, it's funny you say that because Joss Whedon, didn't he used to invite the cast over every weekend and they would read Shakespeare.
1: I didn't know that actually.
0: Yeah, apparently so. And 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 I think that's why they wound up um, making much ado about nothing into like this film with a whole bunch of his various cast members from his different um, shows and movies. And they all wound up just doing this kind of throw together movie. It wound up at uh, Toronto Film Festival.
1: Wait, when was that?
0: It was like when, just before Avengers came out. Which one? The first.
1: Jesus.
0: Yeah. So it was a while ago. So you were not quite virtuosic. You were not the prodigy, but you loved it. And you showed certainly promise.
1: Yeah.
0: How did you further develop your skills? How did you learn music the way you wanted to learn
1: music? Um, I mean, I still can't play music the way I want to. Um, I think if I ever got to that point, I'd probably quit. <laughs> you know, I would just be bored and move on with my life and do something. <laughs> um when I was 14 or 15, I went to see Jerry Lee Lewis perform. And it was creepy because he was still writing songs about how hot high school girls are. But he um I wound up trying to get backstage to meet him because I was a huge fan, being a piano player. And uh I wound up befriending this kid named Drake Bell who, you know, from Drake and Josh and the Amanda show and all that stuff. But this was around um, the time the Amanda show was starting and we became fast friends because we were the only people who weren't geriatric trying to get backstage to meet him. And I wound up joining his band when I was 14 or 15. So suddenly I was playing on Nickelodeon and the Palladium and all these huge shows wound up leaving that band to go to college for better, or worse decision wise, and went to school in Chicago and, at 18, through a weird series of events, wound up as I believe the youngest musical director in Second City's history. So I was suddenly 18 and touring and performing with like Keegan Michael Key and, um, well, and Jordan Peele when he came out, and um, TJ Miller and Thomas Middleditch, although that was with IO, but like a lot of people who went on to be very, very famous. And we did all these musical songs and musical numbers. And none of them were musicians, but because I was 18 and they were all mid 20s to older, I presumed that I was the one who was incorrect when they would <laughs> drop bars, drop sections, speed up. <laughs> I was, you know, being the Dunce prodigy, I was thinking everything was my fault and they were always correct. So I think that my ability to listen at Second City, my insecurity, where probably other musical directors were like, hey guys, stop. You're doing this. I was like, Oh shoot! We're doing this, which everyone <laughs> thought that I was the best musical director there, which I don't think was true, but I was probably the um, I could make everything they did work. Right,
0: they loved you because you covered their asses.
1: Yeah, and then uh, from there, I wound up at I.O. with the show called Baby Wants Candy, which did fully improvised musicals, which helped me even farther of mm-hmm. following and leading because you know, we would all be the leader, all be the follower at different points. And kind of under, coming from that Drake Bell pop world and then going to that Second City theater world. And all the while I was playing jazz vibraphone at jazz clubs in Chicago. As um, kids do. Yeah. Yep. You know, want to be a vibe player more than anything. <laughs> so I think between Drake, uh, the jazz world, which really like Chuck Hedges, Dwayne Pham, these Von Freeman, these Chicago jazz legends really took me in. And Second City, that's kind of, that was my education more than, I got an undergrad and Um, post-baccalaureate, but more than my degrees, I feel like that was really my education.
0: Yeah, you must have learned stuff you couldn't possibly pick up in an academic environment. As good as academic environments can be for a lot of folks, don't get me wrong.
1: Yeah, and they're so important. Like, I don't think I would have gotten good if I didn't have someone screaming and yelling at me.
0: So these guys were hard on you. It doesn't matter your age, didn't matter where you were coming from. They, they gave you the gears if you were fucking up.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and I always tell people, if they say, should I get a degree in music? I'm like, can you work eight to 10 hours a day and be that disciplined on your own?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not capable of that or wasn't at that time. And I needed to get two degrees. Uh, my undergrad was My undergrad was in music composition I essentially had enough things where I could have gotten a degree in composition or jazz performance, but then you had to pick one and you couldn't get a minor. So it's just like, ah, composition sounds more impressive. Uh, So I always forget what I got a degree in. And then my post-baccalaureate was USC in film composing. But, um, yeah, they were, they were so tough on me and I would not have been able to practice 10 hours a day, or at least not practice 10 hours a day discipline. If I didn't have people yelling at me and, You know, have responsibilities to practice. Like, I needed that. If you don't need that, I don't think you need to go to school for music. I think college is very important in terms of um, intellectual and emotional development, and people should go to college. Um, But in terms of going to college for music, it it is so much of a trade that if you're able to put in that work on your own, you're totally fine. I just wasn't capable of it and needed to. So,
0: how long were you? learning how to be a musician
1: i'm still learning um but you know academically speaking um you know well first i when i was in high school i was my parents were driving me up to colburn which was an hour and a half drive for them like two or three times a week which is this uh, music school um for high school kids in los angeles columbia college i was there for four years and then i did a one-year post-baccalaureate Program and film scoring from USC.
0: And the USC film scoring, I mean, that served you really well, too. I mean, you've gone on and scored tons of TV, tons of film, contributed in a slew of different ways, let alone the stage show component.
1: Yes, I make more of my living through composing at this point. What I kind of decided to do was <clears throat> completely sell out as a film composer. I will do absolutely anything you offer me besides a Trump or Pence campaign. At this point, fuck it, any Republican campaign. But um, besides that, I will, even if I disagree with you, I will still score it. I've done, I've scored things which um, I will not list, but I have uh, morally and emotionally disagreed with, but I, it's a living and I will completely sell out as a composer. As a session player and performer, I decide not to worry about money and to only do things that move me and make me excited. And that's kind of how I've balanced the two.
0: It's kind of an interesting break there, just because a lot of folks, I think, might even have considered reversing that. Yeah. You know, the idea that oh, I'll play on anyone's record and not think twice about it, but I'm going to write the stuff that I really am moved by. And it's just kind of interesting, as, as, as somebody who is so moved by performance, even, in the, even, even when you're contributing, it doesn't need to be your piece, as long as you're contributing your best to that piece. It's a, it's a huge motivating factor for you.
1: Yeah, I it's this is why this COVID is so hard for me. <clears throat> it's a joy for me to play with other musicians. Um, it's the happiest times for me. And I feel like you cannot write a piece but make it your own. Like Jeff Buckley didn't write um Hallelujah, but it feels like his piece. Anytime I play on a piece, I I try to make it mine. Even if I'm only playing, you know, just mandolin upstrokes on something. I'm still trying to put my heart and soul into it. And if I didn't play on that song, you'd feel like that song was something completely different.
0: Well, so tell me about inspiration. Where are you finding it? I mean, now more than ever, it's awfully hard. But on a day-to-day basis, where are you finding inspiration for whether it's a composition or those upstrokes on a mandolin on someone else's record?
1: Oh, I mean, just listen to the song. To me, inspiration's everywhere. Um, it's being inspired is not difficult for me. Um, I live in Hollywood, and I love to. The reason I love, love to live in Hollywood is um, it's exciting every time I leave this, the house. Um, I went for a walk. This is obviously before COVID, and there's a homeless guy, presumably, um, just screaming and punching a stop sign. And then there's this, um, there was a Korean kid, maybe 16 or 17, uh, with this beautiful hand-carved wooden skateboard just covered in orange peels that he was, like, pushing. His outfit looked like it cost more than uh, I made this year and had, like, thick black hair spiked up with, like, gold frosted tips. It was just like, that makes no sense. And then, like, why were those two things happening? Then walked into a coffee shop and I run into a friend. I got to hear about the, these horrible auditions. Um, and then got a $5 coffee and then $3 sushi next door. And then that <laughs> price thing doesn't make sense. It's like so much happens. Like, how do you just not be inspired by all that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You love twisted stuff. You like everything making as little sense as possible, which to me makes sense because you are, are you come from comedy and music. Yeah. To me, that's, that's order and utter disarray.
1: Totally. And it's impossible not to be inspired by everyday life. Just walk outside and see, you know, a couple pushing a child and see how happy they are with this newborn kid or how they just messed up and made the worst choice of their life. (laughs) Either way, it's beautiful and inspiring and funny and tragic and lovely. So do you ever
0: run into actual creative block or doubt what you're doing?
1: I doubt everything I do. I always think I'm making the wrong choice. I'm always insecure about it, but I've learned to just tell that voice to shut up and ignore it um, and to go with the first instinct I have. The only time I really start to have issues is when I'm working with a client who's making me redo stuff again and again and again. And And I'll get to that point where I scored a Nike commercial and there were 16 or 17 producers who all had to put in their two cents. So I got to over seventy revisions, and my brain just like cracked. Like <laughs> I, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to do. I'm, I'm done, I'm done. Like,
0: how'd you get out of that?
1: I mean, fortunately, I, I was with another composer, so we were able to like tag team and do things. But I was like, I, I'm off. I got to take two days off. I'm. I'm um,
0: <laughs> they broke you.
1: They real. They actually did. After I think number seventy two or seventy three, I broke for like a day. But it, um, I always find inspiration. It's yeah, there's so so much to be inspired by. When I look back at pieces, they'll be like, oh, this was great inspiration. This was terrible inspiration. (laughs) Or this was not a good idea. But in terms of even the bad ideas lead me to the good ones. Like I found that go with that first idea that I have and it might be the worst idea ever, but see it through and you'll spend three days on this horrible idea. It's done. You're like, God, that was horrible. Why did I spend three days on it? But then Your final product after three days inspires and makes you realize what you should have done. And then you spend three hours and you do say, incredible that if you had spent those three days doing what you thought was beautiful, that wound up being terrible. It wouldn't have, you wouldn't have gotten that inspiration. What do you ultimately want to achieve
0: with music? Where are you headed? What do you want to get across and convey to people with it?
1: Oh, um, I don't care. In in terms of the second part. uh, (laughs) I want to make great music that people love. And that's the funny thing. Like, um, I hear some music and it makes me cry and other people makes them happy. So you can't affect, you can't control how your music affects other people. I just want to create music that people know and people love. Yeah, because our viewpoints on things are all so, so, so different. I want to do what I'm already doing just at a higher level. Um. I'm producing so many records I'm excited about and so many I'm scoring all these really cool movies. And instead of like scoring, well, I still want to be scoring Indie Darlings. I still love like the KCRW stuff I'm doing, but I want to be doing things that are top 10 records and not just like Indie Darling records. I want to be scoring movies that are in the theater and not just like festival winners that everyone who's seen it like real film buffs are like, Oh, I love this movie. I want to get to score films that everyone has seen.
0: What do you think is going to make the difference and allow you to bump up
1: COVID ending? <laughs> I think continuing to do good work. Um, I, uh, I actually booked the biggest job of my life. This um, multi-million dollar film. And we were supposed to, we were supposed to start production April 13th and it wound up getting canceled because of COVID. That was going to be like my, like I'm in the theaters. This is the movie. um, Hence my response about COVID. That was a very brutal blow.
0: Yeah, I think everybody's obviously being horrendously affected by it. And it'll only time will tell in terms of what the repercussions are down the road. Yeah. So in terms of your day-to-day, how do you run your shop? How do you run your, and organize your business?
1: Well, I have a manager who tells me what to do. That's handy. Yeah. Shout out to Super Secret Agents, um, which is a management company. Uh, <clears throat> I find that um, I have to treat what I'm doing like, a, like an office, like a job. I find that I do yoga, I well, back when you could do things with people, I would do a high yoga class every day at 9 a.m., and first rule of yoga is to tell everyone you're doing it. <laughs> and um, then immediately go to my local coffee shop. I'm wearing their shirt that I'm wrapping now, uh, Sasquatch Coffee. And I, w- I found that just having the slightest bit of routine gave me so much focus and so much ability. And then um, I would give myself just the tiniest little bit of routine, just the yoga and the coffee. And But then once I get to the studio, it's just work. And there's no rhyme or reason to creativity. Some days I could do what would take me three weeks in five hours. And then some days what should take me five hours takes me two days of no sleep. I don't know how to explain. I, I'm never at a loss for what to do but how to do it and that's the kicker of like oh i want this very specific road sound well, how do i find it? how do i tweak this oh it doesn't sound big enough there's what's strange about so i'm 37 and i got my first well started playing with drake when i was 14 so i'm that weird generation that started with tape machines and went to the digital age and with, with film scoring with all that stuff you, there used to be a budget for the session player, for the studio, for the engineer. Now, as the session player, half the time I'm just recording in my studio and sending things to people. <clears throat> like I've recorded with some of my heroes, and all I can say is like, "Oh, Dion Warwick's management was very nice over email." <laughs> you know, I did it all just at my spot. Um, and even though you make less money than you made back then you can do more in a day and you're doing it at your home. So you can consequentially make more money. What's the
0: biggest challenge you kind of come across?
1: Focus. And not focus in terms of being lazy and not working. I, I have the capacity to work like 30 hours straight. I'm very, very lucky for that. Um, when I say focus, not getting distracted by a hundred phone calls all the you know, currently I'm looking at my phone. I have 151 unread texts, 33 unlistened to messages, 108,288 unread emails, seven unread Facebook messages, one unread Instagram message. Um, My phone never stops blowing up. And to be able to ignore it and just focus and be like, oh, my girlfriend's not going to get mad at me. My friends aren't going to get mad at me. Oh, I'm not going to, my mom's going to be okay not responding, even though she's. I should be talking to her and she's going to be scared because we're in COVID. Um, and also, so many, so much of my jobs are last minute. I find that I only get calls to do jobs the day of or six months in the future. I never get those calls in a reasonable manner. So figuring out how to focus and not get distracted. Also, uh, if you read about focus every time you start something new, you get dopamines and it feels really good. And then after about 20 minutes, the dopamines wear off. And that's when the real work gets started. Even responding to a text, you get dopamines from stopping, responding to text going back to this, but that little dopamine thing still screwed with your workflow. So to be able to turn off my phone, focus on what I'm doing for four hours and not jump around like, oh, I'm working on the score for 30 minutes I got a call to play on this song, which they need last minute. I'm going to do that for a minute and figure out the chords and the progression because no one sends sheet music ever. Then I'm going to go back and do this, and just focusing on one thing for the right amount of time that you don't miss opportunities, (laughs) because you will start to get anxiety that you're possibly missing opportunities and focus. That's where things I find get really
0: hard. And in terms of those opportunities, I mean, in general, how are you marketing yourself? How are you promoting? what you do your phone's ringing how is it ringing friends yeah
1: yeah um what we do is voodoo and magic um most people don't understand composing for film composing for media so if they're able to have a conversation trust us and like us even though i have you know management and various things i find most of it's through personal connections Uh, Same with session playing. Um, There's so many great keyboard players, but we're all very, very, very different. Just like how if you have an action movie and say Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, and Tom Hardy all want to star in it. You're going to, all three of them will be a blockbuster. They'll all be great, but the vibe of your film will be completely different. And that's kind of how it is with the right keyboard player or the right drummer, the right guitar player. And so, so much of it's like casting. Um, I, Composed for a show 10 years ago called Frank TV. It was a TBS show and I wound up spending a lot of time on set, which is rare for me. And the casting directors were literally not having auditions. They were just calling people they already knew because like, Oh, this person would be great in this role. This person would be great. Oh shit. These eight people are all unavailable for tomorrow. Oh, we got to send out casting breakdown. This is annoying. Um, But everything was them just calling people direct. And I find that the farther along in this industry you get, it just becomes about relationships and calling people directly
0: like that. Yeah. The network is vital and not in a creepy way. It, it's got to be maintained and it's got to be genuine and authentic in order to actually net anything out for you.
1: And the way I like to network is I try to network for friends. My whole philosophy is if I meet people, or if I'm going to these events um, and I'm trying to convince people to hire me, or that's what's in the back of my head. I come across as disingenuine, and I have the most amazing group of friends and the most amazing network. So my and my friend, like I have a career because of my friends. I have a life I love because of friends helping me. Um, every break I've ever gone has been from a friend. So I, in my mind, I only try to. I try to find people I like at these events who I'd want to be friends with, or find work for friends. And I just feel like it'll come back around. So
0: with all of this going on, how are you finding time for yourself, finding time for creativity, having time to actually run your business? How's it all working together?
1: Oh, I have no idea. (laughs) Uh, I mean, every day is different. And just take things days at a time. Um, God, I really don't know how to answer that. I'm also somebody who likes extremes. Um, There's that romanticism, which I've never quite grown out of, of, physically and emotionally harming yourself while working on a record or or a piece. And it's very unhealthy. It's very stupid. It's very childish. I constantly tell people not to do it. But like you watch these movies like Amadeus or different things growing up. You're like, yes, I want to be like that person. Um, And I will constantly find myself falling into that trap. And I kind of set myself up for it because there's that romanticism in it. And then I'll completely break and just buy plane tickets somewhere by myself or with friends. I have a group of friends who we like to just fly someplace random every year and just like disappear for two weeks and then be like, wait, you're in Cuba and you didn't tell anyone. <laughs> I went, yeah. um, or I like to just then like go out and party with friends in LA for like five days and just be like, screw it all. Um, I really like living in the extremes, um, which totally somehow I'm not addicted to anything, which totally sounds like <laughs> addict behavior. Um, and yeah, I'm lucky that my only true addiction is coffee, but, um, yeah, I really don't find any, any balance. Um,
0: Balance is overrated. You're, you're, you're the first person I've ever heard talk about that.
1: It's easy not to have a balance if you do what you love. I tell people the music's my day job and my passion. um, I'll do paid work and then the second I'm done with the paid work, I'll do unpaid work. In my youth, it's held me back from relationships and from friendships. I find as I've gone older, it has not. Um, I found that LA is a city where people move here because they want to work, they want to create, they want to do all these things. And my fr- all my friends are very similar, they all understand it. And if I disappear for a month working on a project, they don't take it personally. They know what I'm doing. Um, yeah, and it's really kind of wonderful.
0: I think that's really tough for a lot of folks who are in creative endeavors or creative businesses in general is, is being in a relationship with a civilian, mm-hmm. someone who really does have a nine to five or even has a high pressure, but a much more regular job where it's a lot more
1: grounded. You can
0: wind up with a pretty stressful situation.
1: Very. And um, But what you have to be good about is if you commit to see somebody or to do something. Show up. So that's the don't back out. Yeah.
0: So what advice would you give to somebody who's looking to get into music?
1: What would you tell them if they're just at the beginning? Oh, don't. <laughs> I. Anytime I teach a masterclass or do something like that, I always tell people anything and everything bad that you can imagine will happen to you, will happen to you, and it will happen worse and more tragically, more upsetting than you ever dreamed possible. The amount of terrible, messed up things that have happened to me in this industry Oh, it's just insanity. But I can have the worst year of your of life imaginable. Well, one year, uh, it was the worst year of my life. Everything bad possibly that could have happened happened. But I got to musical direct the MTV Movie Awards. I was on stage. There's video of me playing with Jason Sudeikis and Dave Grohl and Emma Stone. And I wrote all the music and got to perform. And it was the shittiest year. And that one day and that one experience made the entire year the best year of my life. And unless you're wired like that, don't do it because it will break you. I've seen this industry destroy so many people and give people nervous breakdowns. You will meet your heroes. Your heroes will tell you you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. They want to do X, Y, and Z with you, and then you'll never hear back from them and you won't know why. Even though they gave you their cell number and wanted to work with you. Just you will be so many terrible things can happen and they will happen. And it doesn't matter what stage of your career you're on, it will continue to happen because it's just such a fickle, strange, bizarre industry. But if you're wired to be able to take that level of rejection and have that level of fulfillment, um, do it, please do it. You will be so happy. Um, I've gotten to meet and work with the majority of my childhood heroes and every day I'm so excited about the people I get to interact with and work with. And this, I love what I'm doing and I cannot wait. I can sleep three to four hours a night. And this is not because I'm hurting myself because of that romanticism. This is because of an actual terrible deadline, <laughs> um, but I can be on four hours sleep, three to four hours sleep a night for two weeks with an untenable score that I have to finish and doing this record and just killing myself. But you, I love it so much. I'm, even though I'm hurting and I'm missing, you know, a wedding or, or this or that, I still wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And that's kind of how you have to be wired for this.
0: So, Alex, where can people find out more about you?
1: Um, God, this is where my manager would scream and yell at me for not having better online <laughs> presence, uh, which is something I'm working on. Um, but alexanderburk.com is my website. Uh, Burke.Alexander is my Instagram, and always the best way to get in touch with me. You can Wikipedia me, (laughs) Uh, you can IMDB me, Alexander Burke. Um, Also, I have a band, Magnolia Memoir which we have quite a few things out and we will probably have more records coming out as well.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing how you
1: make a living. Awesome. Happy to be here. Thank you.
0: Subscribe to Making a Living Show at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts. Follow along at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you like what you hear, please share the show with someone you know. Making a Living Show is produced by Next Exit Media and hosted by me,
1: Roby Levy. Thanks for listening.